Amen. Man, what a mighty God we serve. And I just, it's a joy to, to be in the house of the Lord with God's people today and worshiping Him. What a blessing it is. And I'm thankful that you're here. And uh, I'm thankful for our worship team uh, leading us into the throne room. And what a blessing they are to us. So uh, today we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And uh, we're going to be talking about David and Goliath. And uh, a very familiar story, uh, probably one of the most famous stories uh, in the Bible. And uh, most of you probably remember this story uh, as it was taught in Sunday school. You know, little David, uh, brave and courageous enough to face down the, the great big Goliath. And, um, you know, you, you need to be brave. We need to be brave and courageous, just like David was. And uh, to have the courage to overcome the, the Goliaths in your life. And this is kind of how this was taught. And I suggest to you this morning that this passage doesn't have anything to do with you being brave and courageous. This passage doesn't have anything to do with you overcoming difficulties in your life. Indeed, this passage has very little to do with you at all. It has everything to do with God. It has everything to do with the God who slays the giants that threaten his good order. And that's where we're going to take a look at today. I mean, we all know the story. The account of David slaying Goliath is something most of us remember from our Sunday school days. I hope you still go to Sunday school. And so what profit can we gain today by revisiting this story, this familiar text? And I want to say this, that the profit we will get today is the reminder that God can do what we are unable to do. God can do what we are unable to do. Let me remind you just briefly here that David did not win this battle um, according to his own might. And I just want to say, any sermon that would put you in David's shoes and put your current trial in Goliath's shoes makes a fundamental mistake if we leave God out of the picture. We're going to read just a portion of it. If you want to read the whole story, you can read it in in, uh, 1 Samuel 17. I'm going to read verse 32 down through verse 37. And if you have your scripture and want to... Uh, open it up to that, scroll up to that, however you need to do that. But you can follow along in 1 Samuel 17, verse 32 and following. It says, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine 
will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how it challenges us. I thank you, Father, that we have accounts in your word of of people of faith that we can look to. And Father, I I pray that this morning that that the Lord Jesus would be glorified. And Holy Spirit, as we look at your words, I pray that your your words would impress our hearts. It would impact us in a way that that we want to be uh, for God's glory and not for our own. But God, that you would use this in each of our lives to speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, everybody, everybody but David was surprised at how this turned out. Everybody, except David. But you know, we should not share that surprise because we have hindsight, which is 2020. And we, we have the advantage of, of, of hearing David uh, say to Goliath in verse 46, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. This day. I mean, what a, an amazing statement and trust in the Lord. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands. Forget the fact that David was a boy and Goliath was a giant. I mean, forget the fact that David was a shepherd and Goliath had been a soldier for a long, long time. Forget the fact that David had, had shed the king's armor that he could not wear because it was untested in favor of a sling and five smooth stones. I mean, I, I, I love this because if we were to wager on this confrontation, and I'm not a betting man, but if we were to wager... We would have to, we would be wise to to count on none of these things. And I say that, what is important for us to note is what David observed. Look again in verse 47. He says, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. I mean, for 40 days... Goliath had, had taunted the, the Israelite army. They, he had walked back and forth and taunted them to do something. For 40 days, they were camped on one hill. Uh, the, the Israelites were camped on another one. And they were going to meet in the valley to fight it out. And I, I think this is huge because for 40 days, while Goliath paraded back and forth, taunting the Israelites, the Israelites remained in their camp paralyzed by their Goliath phobia. They had a fear of Goliath. And you think about this, that is until the young shepherd boy arrives at the scene. And Saul, as you can imagine, King Saul is reluctant uh, to send this young shepherd boy into battle, but he eventually gives in to uh, what David is saying and he honors him by dressing him in his own armor. The royal armor. But David soon found out that he couldn't move freely about in this armor. So he lays it aside 
in favor of something familiar to him that he uses out in as he watches the sheep a sling and five smooth stones you know when I was little we used to sing a song about David only a boy named David only a little sling only a boy named David but he could pray and sing only a boy named David only a babbling brook only a boy named David and five little stones he took it's been forever since I sang that song I probably should have went through it before I got up here Anyway, it tells the story of that song. And, you know, we immediately attribute this action of him laying aside the, the, the armor of the king to common sense. We say, well, it makes sense that he would do that because he's not worn that stuff before. He didn't know how to, how to, how to, to operate it and how to run in it and do the things that he needed to do. But surely there's more involved in David's decision here to, to lay aside Saul's armor. I mean, David may have been wise to do that, but was he wise to go into the battle with just a sling? Most of us would say no. He should have had some backup. He should have had something else. And so why did David put aside Saul's armor and engage Goliath with inappropriate armor? See, I believe that's because David's conviction was that winning this battle had very little to do with weaponry and it had everything to do with his God. He had a tremendous faith in God. I mean, David had the right perspective. I mean, you can just hear him as, he, as he's heading down towards Goliath and the soldiers are yelling at David and they're saying, David, don't do it. He's too big to hit. And David probably looked over his shoulder at him and he said, you know, gentlemen, I think he's too big to miss. Because that's really his, his perspective. And I want you to understand something. Victory is often a matter of perspective. I mean, the way you look at a problem can determine what you will do with it and about it. The way that you look at it. And clearly this account reveals that it does not matter who has what armor? But what matters is who has which God. Goliath worshipped pagan gods. David worshipped the one true God. And so David could prevail only because he possessed unarmed faith in the mighty God of Israel. I mean, this is big. He had unarmed faith, and, and from this, we, Alexander McLaren, he, he wisely concludes, the unarmed hand, which grasps God's hand, should never tremble. When we are holding hands with God, we should never tremble. And David's faith sees victory even before the battle begun. I mean, we cannot win in combat of this nature without armor, unless armor is not the point. We can't win in combat of this nature without a sling, or with just a sling, unless weaponry is not the point. And we cannot win in combat in this nature by charging in with reckless abandon, unless strategy is not the point. 
But all three of these are not the point. It's not about the armor. It's not about the weaponry. It's not about strategy. See, David understood that his success was due to the fact that the Lord of hosts was with him. Don't underestimate what God can do. It was a psalm of David. Psalm 20, verse 7 says this. Some boast in chariots and some in horses. But we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. And so what do do we take away from, from this account? This account of David and Goliath was was not added to the canon of Scripture just so that we could be entertained, but so that we could be strengthened in our faith. I mean, there's lots of lessons of faith here in this passage, but I just want to give you a couple of them. I want to leave you with two of them this morning. First, I want, to, I want you to look at the goal of David's faith. What is the goal of David's faith? What is, what is it trying to accomplish And I would say the goal of David's faith is the honor of Almighty God. David has faith in God, Almighty God, and and he really doesn't have faith in in much else other than God. But it was God who sustained him in in the field with with the lambs as he shepherded. It was God who was raising him up. It was God who was the one that gave him what he needed to fight Goliath. And David's objection, (laughs) if you go back in verse 26, David's objection is that an uncircumcised Philistine has been taunting the armies of the living God. And when he threatens Goliath, David's passion for God's honor is revealed in this statement. Look at verse 46. It says, this day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands. And I will strike you down. I will remove your head from your, your body. Oh, excuse me. I, I will remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. God is going to do this. He's going to give you into my hand and all of the Philistine army behind you that I'm going to give their dead bodies to the, the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field because I want everyone to know that there is a God in Israel. <laughs> See, it's critical that we understand David's primary motivation here. David's motivation is not malice. He's not angry. He's not angry at Goliath. He's angry that he's taunting the living God. He's not there because of his pride. He's not thinking that by overcoming this giant, he's going to be able to boost his self-esteem and his street cred among the Israelite army. That's not what he's there for. What he's there for is he's mad that this Philistine is cursing and taunting his God. 
And you think about this. Jonathan Edwards, he, he, he writes, the exercise of true religion in Christians is expressed by their glorifying God. The exercise of true religion in Christians is expressed by their glorifying of God. I mean, David's singular concern here is for the reputation of his God. So I'm going to plow a little close to the corn now. Is that true for us as well? Can we say that God's honor is at the heart of our actions? When we discuss theology or religion with someone else, do we do it to demonstrate our own wisdom? Or do we do it because we have a passion for the glory of God? When we attend a a committee meeting in the church, do we make recommendations according to what will honor Christ? Or do we make recommendations in accordance with our own personal taste or what we want? See, a young David teaches us something that we have to be careful to apply. The goal of our faith must be God's honor. Where we're headed with it must be God's honor. That is the goal, is God's honor. And every recommendation we make, every act of service that we perform, must be done for His glory and His honor. See, that is the goal of our faith, is God's honor. Second lesson of faith in this text concerns the growth of faith. I'm so glad that God doesn't leave us where he finds us. I'm so glad that he grows us accordingly and helps us to to implement his word and to know him better. And, and, you know, I, I love this because presumably we come to worship with a two prong motivation. We want to see God glorified. And we want to see our faith in him strengthened. We want to see him glorified and we want to be strengthened in our faith. That's kind of the, what, the, the, the purpose of our worship, our motivation there. And, and from the example of David, we see that faith grows when we look at the Savior and not at the obstacle. Our faith grows when we look at the Savior, not when we look at the obstacle. And I think this is huge. It didn't matter how big or how tall Goliath was. Now, from all accounts that we can tell, he was over nine feet tall. Maybe nine and a half, nine, nine, I don't know. He was huge. You know, you think about this, he's two feet taller than Shaquille O'Neal. He's huge. He would fill any doorway and he would have to have the frame that would hold that much person up. He's big. Definitely big. He's huge. Probably the biggest person David has ever seen. Probably the biggest person we would have ever seen. But you know, you think about that and how intimidating that would be 
I think about that. He was nine feet, over nine feet tall. But you know what? David did not consider the strength of Goliath. He only considered the strength of his Lord, of his God. Listen, there could be countless ways that we could apply uh, this to our lives. You know, let me give you a couple. Churches and church leaders can become paralyzed by financial obstacles. How does this happen? It happens when churches focus on the obstacle instead of on the Lord. I've seen churches become paralyzed by fear of change. I mean, fear of change becomes an obstacle in progressing in ministry. But again, what does it demonstrate? It demonstrates that our eyes are not on the Lord, but they're on the obstacle. So I ask the question, what problem is too big for God? What place is too hard for God to work? What person is too lost for God to save? And what empty purse is too hard for God to fill? The answer to all of those questions is none. Nothing is impossible with God. With God, all things are possible. We look at David, and he stood before a giant with nothing but a sling, or at least that appeared to be all he had. But deep down, David had faith in the power of Almighty God. God has more power than anything we could possibly imagine. David had faith in the power of God. But I want you to understand something this morning. David is one man. David is one person. He is one man. But don't underestimate the power of one. David was one man, but he determined to stand up for God's name and for God's honor. And David plus God is a majority. David plus God is a majority. Are there other examples of the power of one? I'm glad you asked. Think about Pharaoh. Pharaoh must testify that one man, Moses, stood before the entire Egyptian empire and won the victory through the power and the will of God. Ahab must testify that one man, Elijah, the prophet of God, stood with God's power and he defeated Ahab and Jezebel. Daniel stood before the den of lions as one man in God's power and will and he defeated the enemy. Joshua saw the wall of Jericho fall because this one man stood as a leader who believed and followed God's will. You pick the example. 
You could talk about Esther. You could talk about Gideon. You could talk about Paul. You could talk about Peter. All of these. One person standing for God. The power of one. And all because of one who has the power. For in the end, that's the answer. It's not just the power of one. It's the power of the one who has the power. The one and only, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the one. Yes, each one of us can make a difference. Because of the powerful one who overcame sin and death and hell. Even our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I would say this to you this morning, let us resolve never, never, ever to feel intimidated by the world, by the flesh, or by the devil. We know the one who has the power. See, the giants are hopeless when one person linked with the power of of the mighty God of heaven goes out to do battle in his name. One person plus God is a majority. See, Jesus rose. He's alive. And he lives in every believer. Rejoice and be one who embraces his strength within you. Be like the Apostle Paul who said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Say that with me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want you to look at your neighbor and say that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, we have a lot to learn about David. We have much to learn about his battle with Goliath. But we've learned this this morning, that we must make God's honor the goal of everything that we do. His honor. It's all for him. Secondly, we've learned that we must not look at the obstacle, but look to our Savior. Keep our eyes on Jesus. You know, there's a song that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And it goes like this. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior, a life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. See, let me encourage you this morning by reminding you that God is the same God. He is still the same God who stepped out from behind the curtain of nowhere onto the stage of nothing and spoke everything into existence, ex nihilo, out of nothing. He spoke this world into being. He's still the same God who hung the stars in in their place and put the planets in their orbits. He still owns the 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 cows on a thousand hills and he's still the same God who saved you by grace when you exercised that little tiny bitty faith of a mustard seed 
And he's the one who saved you for all eternity. He's still the one that, that, that met that special need for you. He's still the one who's never failed you to this point. And he's still worthy of your faith. See, real faith remembers what God has done before he can still do. The things that he has done in the past, he can do again. You see, our little problems and the Goliaths that we face pose no problem, none, for God. He's greater than all of our need. I love in Ephesians 3, verse 20, it says, Now to him, (laughs) now to him who is able to do, catch this, far more abundantly beyond. Is there any doubt how far God could go? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. I mean, that sums it up nicely. The God that we serve can do abundantly beyond anything that we could possibly think or imagine. See, God must be our strength and our shield, just like he was David's. If he is, then there is no obstacle too big for us to overcome. And we will overcome if our goal is the glory of God. I'm going to ask our worship team if they would come back up and lead us again in in a, a couple more songs. But I asked the question this morning, what are you facing? What are you facing today? I mean, what intimidates you? What is that thing that you're just not sure of and kind of don't want to deal with or, or those kind of things or give you, uh, you know, problems inside your, your gut where you're just kind of weary of it? What intimidates you? And here's what I want you to do. I want, I want to ask each one of us to rise today in the power and the name of Jesus Christ to proclaim your faith. To say, Lord Jesus, I belong to you. You are it. I'm, I'm in it for God's glory. I'm in it to see what God is going to do. <coughs> Excuse me. So come to him now. Rest in him. Find peace in him. He will never leave you, nor will he ever forsake you. He's the Lord of glory. He hears your cries. He intercedes for you. He's with you in the valley, even in the valley of death. See, I know that I'm speaking to someone today who needs a boost from heaven. I mean, you don't need a five-hour energy boost, not that. But you need everlasting energy, the kind that's found in Jesus Christ when he is your Lord and it's found in him alone. Maybe someone's here and you've been beaten down by life, by sin. You need a savior. Christ died for you and he rose to give you everlasting and abundant life. So I say turn from your sin and accept him today as your savior.
Let's respond to the Lord's call. I mean, he's calling you. You know it. I know it. And he is here. So come to him now. Rise today in the power and the name of Jesus Christ and proclaim your faith. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, we thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that you would move us from where we are to where you want us to be.